welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. She stop the rage. You see that? Welcome everybody back to the Retro Blood as we have now started our month of demonic possession here on the Retro Blood. That's right, we are in April and we have a jam-packed episode. If you're into demonic possession, if you're into low-budget horror, if you're into uh, uh, trees and, and doing sexual things with ladies, this is the show for you everybody. All right, that's right, everybody. J.A. Allison, James Klein. We are talking all about Evil Dead here on the show today. Super excited about this episode. How are you doing, Allison? How's your April going on? What's happening? Man, man, April is great so far. It's uh, spring-ish, kind of. It's still a little bit chilly, but it's spring-ish. So spring to me is... Uh, WrestleMania season, which we're into right now, and you know, getting out and and doing things in the sunshine. Exactly. Um, Have you planned yes. your trip to the forest and and a cabin in oh, the forest yes. yet? Oh yes. Oh, I have. That's a spring time tradition. You got to go out there in the forest, hang around. You know what I mean? Get possessed by demons. Yeah, get possessed by demons. Read a couple of demon books. Uh. uh hear an old tape recording of what's about to happen to you good old times i love it i love it so we're gonna be talking about all about evil dead which is actually one of my favorite movies of all time which i'm pretty sure yes out there for everybody it's one of theirs too i mean this is like a hidden gem. i would say it's really a hidden gem it used to be a hidden gem you know maybe back in the day but this is actually yeah. spawned to be one of the biggest franchises in horror right now which we'll talk all about that as well too but like what we do, like but like what we like to do on the show, we like to talk about the history surrounding the release date of this movie, plus little extras too. So, this movie was released on October fourteenth. Let me see, October. Oh crap! Hold on. October fifteenth, nineteen eighty-one. That's when the D. Well, the, kind of. Kind of yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that has a disputed release date. Yes. And there's a reason for that. You know, obviously this this movie was a low budget movie. And at the time when they were trying to, to release the movie, uh, most of the films showing were at the grindhouses. You know, like the very low budget corner movie theaters. You know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny too because this movie, like a lot of other movies, had a bunch of different titles to it which we'll get into. But, you know, the, the the date that 
we're probably going to be talking about mostly is the first time they're trying to show the movie to 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 an, to the audience, which is the October 15, 1981. Do you have a different date with us, Allison? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have the wide release date, which was uh, April uh, uh, 15th, 1983. Oh, there you go. Because it took them two years to, to get it out. Because mm-hmm. that October 15th release date, that was the day of the premiere, right? Yes. The day of the, when they had that premiere in, in Detroit, the free premiere, and then whoever showed up showed up for it. Yes. And they showed it one time. Because the problem with Evil Dead was not that it really... Like a lot of movies we talk about, low-budget horror movies were basically rented to theaters, so they opened at different times. Nobody wanted to put this out. Like this is the first movie that I think that we've talked about where legitimately nobody wanted to release this. Yes. Um, Until they went to Cannes, so they took it to Cannes in France for uh, the festival, which um, is crazy if you think about that. Yeah. (laughs) Like this movie being shown at Cannes, but. Um, it was shown at cons, and then that's what got it released in April of 1983 and to, to a wide audience. Yes, and then it became widely known when it went on to videotape as well. It's one of those secret videotape tradings that became a cult classic. And also, too, big on this, the success of the movie was a an article written by one Stephen King uh, praising yes, the Stephen movie. Stephen King loved this movie. Yes. Yeah. Praising the movie, and I gave it a lot of, um, you know, a lot of recognition gave it a lot of clout as we'd say so well, well i'm also want to tell you a, 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 there actually is a crazy story where apparently sam raimi of this movie actually went on trial in the uk for this movie did you know about that story um i don't know that full story but i know that in the uk especially during this time they they had some serious issues with uh, freedom of speech type things which uh you know they don't have the same kind of constitution that we have here um you know they don't have the first amendment really in england um so it was pretty easy to ban something there like you could just you they were there was like a council like a government council that could just ban a movie and a lot of horror movies have been banned up until really recently actually yeah Um, and this was one of them but i didn't know about the trial so tell us about that well see what happened was you know like like you were saying, all of the speech and stuff. So they released um, Evil Dead. You know, they, they did it in some cons and some theaters. They also released it on tape, too. And this is also during a time where England was censoring a lot of the tape. You know, where somebody actually had it on videotape. They would censor a lot of videotapes. And they would... Basically, what they did was they had lumped in Evil Dead with all the snuff films that was coming around the time. You know, like we had snuff films like Faces of Death. Um, you know, different ones that, that actually would portray, would be so, it was look so realistic that people would thought they were real. Like, their people right. were really dying on the films. And it just so happened that when people, <laughs> this movie got such a, a reputation with it that people thought, like, this was real. Like, <laughs> I wish, it's crazy when you actually watch the film, like, there's no way this is real. But it became so, <laughs> like, I, it got lumped into all that stuff where, like, you know, what, what are they thinking? Like, this tree was really going to, like, you know, rape this girl? Like, what's going on here? So he actually had to go on trial was defending the movie of how, like, it wasn't, like, real snuff film. It wasn't, like, a real thing because I guess it was so, like, it was so, like, underground that it was, like, it, it just came lumped in with all that stuff. So he had to basically defend it and everything, and that's why 
the sequel is a, like a little bit more lighthearted than the actual first one is. So that's why he had to hmm. kind of like change directions a little bit just because of um, the style, the way the film was. Because, you know, this film was made, you know, technically it was made in the late the late 70s, you know. Yeah, I think they started film. They filmed it in the fall of 1979. Yes. So, you know, during that particular time, there's a lot of stuff that was different. You know, like a lot of people didn't do a lot of, you know, possession. They didn't do a lot of like super gore. You know, they didn't do a lot of like, you know, sexual in the windows with the movies and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't do a lot of that stuff. And like, some, they, didn't, some, they didn't have a lot of tree raping scenes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, right. th- there was, you know, in the 70s, though, there was a lot. There was a there was a underground section for all that. You know, what I mean, because there, there has been films that are like crazier than this that came out before this movie, you know, like Maniac and shit like that. It was like, you know, that's some real fucked up shit right there. But, you know, but like this one got lumped in with all that stuff. So that's why I, you know, when he was doing, I guess it just so happens when he was doing the tape training in like England and stuff, he got to put on trial for like, hey, you know, this is, this is rotting our kids' minds and shit like that. Yeah. I mean, I could kind of see why they would think that Yeah, in a way. Like when you watch the movie, like obviously, you know, especially like the stop motion animation at the end of it, you know that it's not real. But I guess I could kind of see how they might think that, like, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this in detail, but, like, um, the scene where um, uh, um, Ellen Sandalweiss's character gets raped by the tree, like, I could see how the way that was shot, that you would that you might think that, you know, that they were actually, like, you know, penetrating her with a stick or something. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I can see how somebody might think that, maybe. And, and to be but honest, I think that it's know. mostly a mistake. It was just lumped in with a bunch of other stuff that it should have been lumped in. And to be honest with you, like if if he, I I don't I don't know exactly what went on during the court, you know, trial of what he had to defend and everything, or what they were putting him on most in the accused. But if I was going to point out which one did I think it, it had to be at least that scene. We're like, yeah, hey, it has can, to be. You're right. Like, hey, you know, these are going to kids and stuff. We know these tapes are going to kids. Like, and they're obviously showing a rape scene in this movie. And that, yes, it's for trees, but we're, we're portraying that in this movie that people are, are watching. So that's the only way I could think of they that their main argument would have been would have been that particular scene. You know, besides, like, I think this is actually the first movie also to portray. You know, because we had zombies before, but most of the time when we had zombies. You know, they would shoot him a couple times or they would beat him. But they, like, this movie actually, like, okay, the only way to defeat a zombie, we have to decapitate their ass. All right? I think mm-hmm. that's the first movie that actually that actually did that. Because a lot of the other zombie movies before then was like, okay, we may have to shoot him a couple times or knock him over or maybe shoot him in the head. This one's like, no, we got to fucking destroy their whole body. So. Yeah, we should definitely do one month on zombie movies and talk about the history of zombie movies and like why zombie movies are the way they are. Um, but, but yeah, but the, but in this movie they're not really zombies, right? They're just possessed by demons. Yeah. So it, yeah, exactly. They're just people possessed by demons. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it's a little different, you know, because it is like it's basically like uh, a more intense exorcist if you look at it. Because, you know, we have, we have people getting possessed and they turn into creatures that could be looked like as zombies in a way. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Because doesn't it say on the tape at some point like the only way to stop them is bodily dismemberment or something yep. like that, which is essentially cutting their heads off. Yeah, the whole body, <laughs> just like fucking everything. Right, the whole body. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because cutting their heads off doesn't really seem to stop them in the movie either. <laughs> like, there's no real, there's no real rules for this. Like, it just stuff just happens. Yeah, exactly. And then 87 minutes later, the credits roll. Um, Boom. But yeah, like it's interesting that you that you were saying that that's why the second movie is more lighthearted. I thought it was lighthearted for a different reason um, than that. But I did. I mean, I hadn't heard anything. But just, what I just assumed was that. So when they made this movie, it was supposed to be deadly serious. Like it wasn't supposed to be funny, but there's a lot of unintentionally funny things in it. Um, and I, I thought they just kind of leaned into that more for the second movie. I mean, they probably Maybe. did, but you know, the, the, it's probably to me, it's probably a, com- a combined of both. You know what I mean? Where yeah. they needed to lighten up a little bit. So like maybe, you know, if they, you know, not to get sued or nothing again. And also too, you know, obviously when you watch the movie and you really like dissect, yeah, there's a lot of goofy parts on certain parts of it. So might as well just go that way. You know, that's true. Um, that's true. And and I know this is going to be a controversial opinion amongst uh, probably nearly anyone else. But this is the only one of the Evil Dead movies that I actually really like. I mean, I can see that because it like, it, yeah, because it has a more serious tone to it. Where the other ones you can tell just by the dialogue. It's very like campy dialogue. You know? Yeah, and I don't hate it. I yeah. don't hate Evil Dead Two. I do like that movie. Yeah. Um, especially some of the scenes that we'll talk about next week when we talk about that movie. Um, I think Army of Darkness is just is just silly. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, it's yeah, like that. it's like you know, like there, like somebody I heard recently talk about Army of Darkness as like a favorite horror movie. Then this, I can't remember who this person is, but they don't. I and I remember that they don't like horror movies. And I was like, it's kind of like a horror movie for, for people who don't like horror movies. It's almost like, I mean, it's not bad. It's good because Bruce Campbell's in it, is what I would say. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they do progressively get worse. But like this movie, I think is is beautiful. It's it's a masterpiece. Um, it, it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with this movie. And if there had never been another one, it would be just it would be on a pedestal. I think. Well, hell, it's on a pedestal anyway. I love this movie. Yeah. I definitely say it's one of the best, you know, of all time, especially the way it was shot and filmed and just the, the, the raw emotion out of the films. You know, it's very rare that you see stuff like that, you know, nowadays. Um, but, you know, there, well, there, a lot of it was because it was real. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of it, like they were like literally like losing their minds by the time this movie was finished. Exactly. Because they had no food. They had no heat. They had no electricity for 12 weeks. Yep. And, you know, wearing all that makeup, it's cold out there. You know, obviously, they're hitting people for real, which will piss you off. So, you know, a lot of times, a lot of directors will do that. You know, even certain, not not, not as much today, you know, but there are certain films, even maybe today, that they will try to get, like, real raw emotion from people. Which is, you know, obviously, that's always the best emotion because it's real. So. But... Let's get into some of the history stuff because we have a jam-packed history segment here today. So how about, because we have a lot of wrestling to talk about on this particular show, not just wrestling that happened around this movie release date, but also too about wrestling that's happening right now, brother. Um, Oh yeah. But let's get, let's get the, uh, let's get the music 
out of the way. So I found there's two things I want to talk about. So I'm going to talk about the release date of October 15, 1981, when they were showing it in some sort of grime house. I, this is this is the release date where they were probably showing it in front of their, a lot of the producers, and they invited a couple people in there to you know just to do a screening of the film to show how what the audience would react off it. And a lot of films, you know, did this. They do like an early release date just to see a little feel for the movie. So. <clears throat> it was October 15, 1981, and then one of the bands I found, which I'm not super familiar with this band, um, but you might be Allison. It's one Saxon. Uh, denim and leather. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm somewhat familiar with Saxon. I mean, they're they're a good they're a good band. They're a good like um, I don't know what you call them like heavy metal, regular heavy metal band, like Man of War kind of. Oh, okay. And it's it sort of has like a not fantasy theme, but like a medieval theme to it, kind of. So this movie would fit um, in perfect with Army good. of Darkness. Yes. <laughs> Before they could time. have done the soundtrack to Army of Darkness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, I don't really know too much about them. I just found the release date because they released their little little track October fifteenth, nineteen eighty one. So maybe I'll maybe we'll do like a little song with them on the Facebook. See see how everybody likes them. But there is one band. There's a couple uh, music part I want to talk about. That doesn't, you know, doesn't relate to the release date of this film, but what I have. So a couple of days ago, uh, I think it was on Thursday over here, uh, back in March, March 31st, I went to go see the band Wednesday 13, which is a, one of my, one of my favorite bands. Obviously the, the main singer is from, uh, Murder Dolls and he also did the uh, Frankenstein's Dry Queens as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Wednesday. It's a weird name, but okay. Wednesday 13. So saw this band, saw them in the Spartanburg Club, Ground Zero. You ever been out there before? The Ground Zero? Uh, I haven't in a long time, but yeah, I used to see a bunch of shows there. Okay. It's a pretty cool place. Kind of a smaller venue. Is it, is it still in the same? Well, you wouldn't know if it was still in the same building. They used to have this giant horse statue sitting in the middle of the floor. Is that still there? No, I didn't see no horse statue now. Oh, maybe they've moved the building or maybe they moved the statue, but like. There used to be this giant horse statue because I think it used to be a, uh, I think it used to be a strip club, mm. and they used to have this giant white horse statue like in the middle of the floor. Interesting. Of course, this was many years ago. Well, I mean, I did see the um, Munster's car, the uh, what do you call that thing, the Dracula bill or something? The Dracula. Yeah, the Dracula. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was did a fan drive it to the show? No, apparently somebody has like you could take pictures with it and everything. No, of course they do. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put some pictures over there on the Facebook and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, what I want to get to is, so, you know, obviously Wednesday 13th are huge. You know, they talk a lot about horror movies and their songs mm-hmm. and everything. That's the main band I went there to go see. But it just so happens that there was a opening band that I wasn't familiar with. But apparently they've been pretty popular um, from the punk scene. So I just want to talk a little bit about the punk scene in the 80s. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that particular genre because, you know, you know, we talk a lot about music on the show. We talk about metal and stuff, but, you know, a, a big thing in the underground 80s was punk music. And we touched about on punk music a little bit when we did our episode on um, New Year's Evil uh, yes. because that movie had a lot of, um, you know, influence by the punk scene, you know, during the 80s period. But, um, the band I'm going to talk about a little bit. I I never heard about this band before, and like I like I think I've said it before on the show. I I I am 
I personally am not the biggest punk fan. It's never been my type of music, but I can I respect the genre. You know, I like uh, I like the influence that punk has ga- gave to a lot of music and stuff. And I like a couple punk bands and stuff. But have you ever heard of this band? They're called Anti Scene. Yes, Anti Scene's from Charlotte. Yes, they're from Charlotte. So they were there. Yeah, they actually opened mm-hmm. up for Wednesday Thirteen, and this guy was crazy, man. Like, yeah. apparently the guy's also a huge wrestling fan, too. I was about to say, they're <laughs> huge wrestling fans. Yeah, and I didn't know that. And like, he would just come up there saying, like, you know, he, he had, like, this fucking bat that was in barbed wire. And he kept doing this song. I guess they had this song called Homicidal Suicidal. Obviously, you know, obviously after Sabu. And they were singing it, going crazy. And the motherfucker on stage starts to rub his head against the barbed wire bat. And he starts juicing. I was like, holy shit. Like this is a punk shit right here. Like I thought, they, I thought oh, yeah. they were pretty cool. Like I didn't, I, I didn't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm not the biggest punk influencer guy, but they apparently they've been around since 1983. And I was doing some research on this band, and apparently they were were touring, and they were um, even back, kind of like the backing band for one G.G. Allen. Yes, so at least two of them were, yes. um, and one of and and one of Gigi Allen's bands, yeah. So I was like, "Fuck, you know that guy is crazy." You know, you talk about like some underground like metal guy. This is Gigi Allen guy. Isn't that the guy who used to come out there and just fucking perform naked and just fucking just scream at people and try to fight him? Uh, that is that guy, yes, and s- smear shit all over himself and yes. cut himself, and yeah. We're, I'm not a huge Gigi Allen fan, but yes. That is who that is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like I, I've had a lot of friends who are like big into punk, and of course they love that kind of like Gigi Allen dude and stuff. I was, you know, like I said, I was never big on too, but I can respect like the uh, the anti culture when it comes to. I can just respect like the rebellion stuff. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Evil Dead too, because they weren't going by normal horror, horror movie tropes. They were just a couple dudes out there trying to do their vision. You know. So I mm-hmm. thought so that that band was pretty neat. I'll probably see if I can uh, grab a couple footage that my girlfriend took and put them on the YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, and they also had a they also had a shirt that said "Heal" on it as well. <laughs> now I noticed yeah. that you had the that, same shirt too. Is that like so? Is that is that something else besides just a wrestling thing? Um, you mean the shirt I was wearing yesterday? Yeah, it said "Heal" on it, right? It says heels. That's a Carolina Tar Heels shirt. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a wrestling heel. No. Okay. It, well, so so I have that shirt because it's a double. It has a double meaning, and okay. I, which I'll explain to you in a minute. To you in a minute, but but yeah. So yesterday I was wearing. Last night I was wearing that shirt because the uh, the uh, world's greatest college basketball team, the Carolina Tar Heels, beat Duke in Mike Shishovsky's last game ever. Um, so they retired that guy as a loser, which, and to move on to the, uh, from the final four of the NCAA tournament. So yesterday was a really big day, um, for Carolina basketball. So for the people of your newly adopted state, yesterday was a really, really, really big day. Interesting. So that's a Carolina Tar Heel shirt, but, um, back in the late nineties, I've had that shirt a very long time. Um, but I can remember back in the late 90s when the Dudleys were still at ECW. Um, they wore that exact same shirt that said heels on it. Which I'm sure was a, not because they were Tar Heels fans, but yeah. because 
you know, because they were heels. Yeah. Um, and they thought that was funny. Um, so yes. Because the guy, the so main sure ha- had they're the wearing. I'm sure the anti scene one is because of the wrestling term, but my shirt was a Tar Heel shirt. Well, it could be both because he's from North Carolina. He's from Carolina, um, Charlotte as well too. So that's true. That's true. So how long did they play? Like thirty minutes or forty minutes? Yeah, about thirty minutes. Yeah, I would say a yeah. pretty, pretty good long set, and people are going crazy in there, and like they were pretty good. Like yeah. you know, punk. So punk to me live, you know, obviously it's a lot of energy, you know. Mosh and stuff, people with the spikes. You know, I I I have been to a couple punk shows before, and they the energy is always there. That's for sure when they're on stage. It just to me the, oh, like yeah. the punk. The only thing I have against certain punk music is a lot of the rhythm sounds the same for every song. Well, yeah, it's all the same thing, yeah. right? Like the Ramones. Like I would mm-hmm. say, Anti Scene is a very Ramones derivative band. Like like you can definitely tell that the Ramones are a huge influence on Anti Scene. Um, but I bet that they sound as good now as they ever did. I, I, I bet they're, I bet you they I haven't seen them in years, but I bet you they're just as good now as they ever did. My favorite two anti-scene songs are Animals Just Eat Them and Fuck All Y'all. Yeah, buddy. And they probably played at least one of those two songs. I'm pretty sure they played the Fuck Y'all because I kind of remember that one. Yeah, they they pretty much probably play that at every show. But yeah, Animals Just Eat Them, that's a really good song. You should You should listen to that one. Maybe we'll play it at the end of the show, brother. Maybe. It's from their Eat More Possum album. Nice. But yeah, they were good. I mean, like the main singer guy, he was definitely like, he had a great stage presence. And I appreciate the uh, wrestling um, stuff that they put in. Yeah, It's like he was like in a hardcore match when he was on stage. Like he was pretty, like, yeah. it was pretty crazy. Like he's just sitting there screaming. He's fucking, he looks like, he puck, this guy, I don't know if you see him, like, he's fucking long hair, long beard. Looks like one of those like like shorter Vikings. And he's just going crazy. Looks like he's going to eat some meat. Right? And he's just going on there, just like rocking it out. And he grabs his bat with barbed wire, just fucking juices himself on stage. That's fucking crazy, man. So I was like, okay, I can I can respect these guys. I like them. And of course, you know, Wednesday 13, that's the reason I came. To, that's the band I came to see. And they were, of course, awesome. And of course, they are also from the same area, Charlotte. And apparently, this anti-scene band was the one that helped, um, you know, when uh, the Wednesday, when it was in Frankenstein's. Um, drag queen mm-hmm. he he, uh, he helped him with his album covers and helped him to get his start too so I thought that was really cool yeah I would say that just about every um, underground punk-ish or metal band that came out of Charlotte played with Anti-Scene I would say that you, you would be hard pressed to find a band from that area that didn't play with them I mean, they were, they, I mean, I can't really understate how influential anti-scene is for a band that most people have never heard of. I cannot, you know, I can't express to you how, how influential they are on North Carolina underground music. Yeah. I mean, I could tell because, you know, there's a lot of people out there seeing him stuff. Like I said, you know, I, obviously I wasn't born in North Carolina. So all this, you know, like super big local bands. Or you know, even if they're on the higher standard, I'm not sure about. But as I like to do, like when I did my research on them, I was like, wow, these guys actually have helped a lot of bands before, and they're still kicking to this day, doing their thing. So you know, shout out to them. And that, like I said, their their show is pretty fun. Like if I knew some little bit more of their songs and stuff, I probably got into it more. But when I was just seeing them for the first time, I was like, man, I could tell why a lot of people don't like this band. So shout out to them. But yeah. we'll play some of them at the end of the show. But sure. Speaking of uh, some pro wrestling, what do we have, Allison, 
on the pro wrestling side for this week? Well, well, we have um, a couple of different things. So um, there's not a ton of wrestling from around either release date, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I did both of them so that we'd have a little bit to talk about. Um, there is something that um, you're going to know that um, I did not know. Um, of course, now I've lost it. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. So the original release date, October 15th, 1981, the day of the premiere, quote-unquote. So um, the Japanese wrestler Tatsumi Fujinami, who went on to be a huge star in Japan, he vacated the WWF World Junior Championship. So I think that so that he could move up to the heavyweight division. But I think that that is pretty amazing to think about. Like in 1981, the WWF, not the WWF, you know, this is Vince McMahon's company, mm-hmm. put a title on a Japanese wrestler. Well, yeah, I mean, during this era, Kind of like, kind of like before Hulk Hogan became like really big. They actually did a lot of um, work with Japan. Um, actually, mm. it's it's weird because I remember when I was you know seeing a lot of documentaries and stuff. It seemed like there was a period of time where there was a lot more like interaction with other companies. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I because Vince McMahon's father wasn't like Vince McMahon Jr. where Vince McMahon's father kind of like wanted to work with everybody, you know. He he, he obviously he wanted to have his territory be number one, <clears throat> but he was more willing to like share the talent. While Vince McMahon had a different vision, he wanted to like you know take over. Like he wanted to be the spot to go to, and he wanted to yeah, have he his wanted people to have all the talent. Yeah, and he wanted to be exclusive, his talent to be exclusive. But you know, before that can happen. He was still running it the other way where he would have people come in and go. Because, you know, before Dusty Rhodes even came in has like, you know, the plumber guy, he came into a couple Madison Square Garden shows and just wrestled a little bit and then went back to his territory. So, you know, they had that, that little talent switch a lot. So, to me, it, I don't think it was until like Hulk Hogan became like, you know, the man when he beat the Iron Sheik of where yeah. the actual takeover began so right that's like kind of when the, the mind uh, set changed a little bit because you know during this time i think they were i'm not i don't think they were in the nwa at this time when vince man jr was over but i think they were still like working with other people to share the talent they definitely were not in the nwa by the time vince jr took over yeah um the, or the current vince mcmahon um, I'm trying to remember when Vince McMahon bought the company from his father. It couldn't have been more than a year or so before this happened. I think we talked about like this it. Like it couldn't have been. <laughs> I was because um, I couldn't remember that, yeah. but I was thinking it was like 1980 or something. Yeah, or maybe it was 79. Um, but either way, um, but he um, he but his the title that he had was a title that doesn't exist anymore. He had the World Junior Championship, which I guess it was the early light heavyweight championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you know you know back in those days, so like they they had like you know lighter weight titles, which is probably somebody that's like two fifteen instead of being like three hundred pounds. Right. So <laughs> it is crazy other thing like you know. 
which is weird because um like um a lot of sports have like lighter weight divisions you know and, and there's even like some wrestling companies that can build lighter weight divisions it is wwe for a long time like they never really like focused on that they tried to do it with that 205 live again but it just that particular company after hulk hogan after the big guys came in they just never could go to lighter weight talent and they can never really put a like a big stamp on lighter weight talent a lot of other companies have you know wcw did it new japan did it you know ring of honor impact all of them can 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 equal out the lighter weight talent but just wwe just couldn't because the way they built their big empire was on big dudes so the mind frame is always going for the bigger talent now they have tried to do lighter weight talents before but i don't think they like to put them on that stigma you know like oh here's a lighter weight guy you know what i mean yeah so i think that also wwfe whatever you want to call it revolves around popularity which i mean any any wrestling company does i mean that's why you know that's why you're the world champion right that's why you're holding a title it's because you know you're popular enough and then the company has enough faith in you to put the title on you um you know so um in wwf and wwe if you become popular enough to carry a title then they're probably going to put you into the they would probably have put you into the world world title anyway, the heavyweight title. Like Shawn Michaels, that's a good example. Like Shawn Michaels would not be a heavyweight by any imagine, you know, by any stretch of the imagination compared to like Hulk Hogan. But he was so popular that they couldn't keep him in the lower ranks anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. which I guess the Intercontinental title is what they had at that time. But um but uh they um you know they had to elevate him to the world, the world title scene, even though he's not really a, that big of a guy. Yeah, because you know, well, there's a lot of things that went into that, you know, because obviously, you know, the big the steroid trial came on, you know, it kind of forced them to to kind of like show that their athletes are not all on steroids. So there, we try to put a little bit more emphasis on the younger, more talented wrestlers, you know, while still sprinkling a couple big guys in there that don't look all jacked up. So, you know, it just, it just, you know, the philosophies in wrestling stay the same, but they change a little bit, you know, cause you know, even, even nowadays we're, 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 we're doing like the same thing kind of like in where we have like the, the quote unquote smaller guys that are very talented. And then we got, we sprinkle in a couple big dudes on top of that, that we're pushing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, oh, WWE has always been kind of like that, you know? Like we'll 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 have smaller guys, but we're, it's not like it's not like when AJ Styles come out there, we can't have AJ Styles being the world's lightweight champion. You know what I mean? Because if we right. gave him yeah. the light, we, if we gave him the lightweight title, okay, this guy is in a certain category. He can't fight the big guys because he's a lightweight champion. You know, a lot of companies don't do that. You know, New Japan when they have the lightweight title, I mean, we got two world class athletes going out there and stealing the show. WWE, they just can't do that. We can't have the Cruiserweight title headline of WrestleMania. You know what I mean? So that that's just their mm, their philosophy true. is not like that. So, so what else you got? Which for I mean it does make sense. I <laughs> yeah. mean, really, your 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 heavyweight title should be your your main event, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, yeah. I mean, 
Well, look look at the UFC though. I mean, we have their their lighter weight division, but the Conor McGregor and the athlete headlining, selling out more arenas than the heavyweight guy did. So it's well, more, but that's real sports though. Yeah. Well, a lot of wrestling companies, besides the WWF, like to position themselves as real sport, like New Japan does, AEW yeah. too, a little bit does, Ring of Honor used to do as well too. And like I'm saying with them is, you know, they those companies can position a lightweight title to a higher degree than WWF. WWF just can't do it. Like they tried to, to do certain stuff like that, but it just it never works out. So they just have their own philosophy of how they position their talent. That is true. But uh, what else do you got for us on the uh, the different date? Well, the, on the different date, uh, this is a small thing too, but remember last week, I believe it was last week, how we talked about the dusty finish? Yes. And we explained to, to the people what the, what a dusty finish was? Yes, I well, do. Well, the date, uh, the what? You're not the, about, you're not the, about to dusty finish me here, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you gave me some last week, now you're going to take it away? Come on now. No, so remember last week we talked about the dusty finish. Mm. So, and we were trying to think of examples of a dusty finish. Well, on April sixteenth, nineteen eighty three, which was the wide release date of Evil Dead, or the day after, there was a dusty finish, which <laughs> involved Dusty, of course. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. So Dusty was under a mask at this time as the Midnight Rider. Oh yeah. Um, and he was uh, wrestling against the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. I'll give you three guesses who that NWA World Heavyweight Champion was, and the first two don't count. So who do you think it was? <sighs> Boy, let's see. If I had to guess, it had to be either Harley Race or... You only get, you only get one guess. <laughs> I only get one? Shit. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go with Harley Race. Oh, God damn, you're wrong. I know it's Ric Flair. Oh, that's that my second one. <laughs> Damn it! Because I thought like Ric Flair would be too obvious, but okay, I should have I should have known it was Ric Flair. <laughs> so anyway, they were in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, Midnight Rider, uh, Dusty Rhodes under a mask, was wrestling Ric Flair, um, and Dusty won it. But um, the decision was made due to um, to um, an, the official referee. So I guess so they had they had an official referee and then they had like and he gets knocked out and they had a different referee run in who made the pinfall so Dusty won the title but they reversed it because the official referee didn't make the count so it, so it so the belt went back to Flair. Dang. They got him. Yeah. Got him. So that's a that's a good that's a good example, a perfect example of what a Dusty finish was. So those people in St. Petersburg saw, you know, their hero win the title. But the next day, it goes right back to Flair again because of some technicality. Those damn technicalities, man. They'll get you every time. They'll get you every time. But Speaking uh, of technicalities, what do we got for WrestleMania? Yes. So Also, speaking of Dusty Rhodes, we have his son was on Absolutely. this past WrestleMania night one, Saturday. Yeah, it's a good segue. Yes. You like that? There you go. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, on the retro blood, we, we like to stick to the 80s, but there's always stuff happening out here in the, the, the 2000s that we want to talk about. One of them is WrestleMania, which it was uh, this last Saturday, night one. And overall, I thought, you know, at the beginning the beginning of the 
WrestleMania, to, to me, in my opinion, like, you know, a couple of the matches were just there. You know, we had the Usos versus Rick Boogs and Shinsuke. Did you hear that Rick yeah. Boogs? He hurt his leg, too. I, I saw that. Did you get, uh, did you get, were you watching the show in time to see that happen? Yeah, uh, yes. But I, I, yeah, that, I saw the replay of that good. because I was making some food. Okay, yeah, it didn't look good. Like he, yeah. like at first, I thought that it was just like a work, like it was just part of the match. But then, like you could see, like by the look on his face, he was like, "Oh, this was a bad idea." Yeah, I think um, it was, you know, uh, it was like a quad injury, and then there was like another part of it too. So he might be out for a couple months. Yeah, it's really strange how something like that can happen. You know, like he was. I mean, both Usos were just jumping on his back. It's not like he was even taking a big bump or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's just like both. he was just carrying both Usos. I mean, he was carrying 400 pounds on his back, but, I mean, that guy is pretty strong. You can just tell by looking at him. So, yeah, I think that it was just a freak thing that happened. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, uh, similar to that was that Rich Holland guy in NXT, or I think it was like Biff Busick. Uh, he, like, did just sure. a springboard onto him on the outside and his leg buckled and boom there he goes after like six months so you know freak stuff like that just happens in wrestling just out of nowhere yeah um, well when ridge holland has been hurt more times than he's hurt other people then i'll worry about it yeah yep 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 so and, you know and uh, some other matches on the show i mean we had the um we had the becky and bianca match i thought was pretty good you know Pretty yeah, that was pretty good. Pretty good uh, pro wrestling match there too. Um, we had uh, God help me out over here. Which one? Which ones am I missing? <laughs> um, we had um, we had Happy Corbin and that's right. <laughs> that's the one I was. I, I totally just forgot about <laughs> that fucking match. I don't like, for some. Wow. So the only did you notice this too? I'm pretty sure a lot of people that did, if they like watched this WrestleMania, like there were so many video packages, like, like yeah, it was like commercial video package. Commercial. I was like, what the hell? Can we get this shit going? Like, what the hell? Well, I mean, going this show was four hours long, but like it didn't need to be with all these fucking video packages. No. Just cut it down. I was like, fuck. And it's two nights. So now we have now that we have WrestleMania two nights forever. Apparently. This is, you're going to have more of this shit. So, like, they would literally show, like, a video package for the match we're going to have, and then they'll show a video package for a match we're going to have tomorrow night. Yeah. And then... And then it'd be a superstar pitch, like, a superstar video. Right. Randomly. It's like, what? And then a commercial with DraftKings. It's like, fuck, man, come on. (laughs) Get to the fucking Yeah, so then I can bet on pro wrestling. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Who the fuck would bet on pro wrestling? (laughs) Like, I would feel like an idiot. I'm sorry. Cause you know, they, you know, it's just fucking worked. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna bet on that shit. Right. <laughs> I, I looked at it one time and like to see because it was free to do, yeah. and like the odds are so bad because you're not gonna like in real sports you could bet on an underdog and they could possibly win, right? Yeah. But in this, like the odds are so bad. Like the person that you most likely know is going to win this title, the odds are so bad you would never make that bet. Yeah, like who who would bet that Kevin Owens was gonna beat Stone Cold's ass? Like, exactly. What so like if you <laughs> went to I didn't look at the odds, but if you looked at the odds for that, it would have uh. been just incredible for you know, it would have been an incredible difference. Like it wouldn't have been worth making the bet, is what I'm saying. And nobody's gonna put money on Kevin Owens winning that. Yeah. Like they just had to be a fucking idiot. 
But, you know, I thought that match was okay. I mean, th- the problem with that match was there's just the happy Cormac. There's just no, like, it just, it just, there's nothing there. Like, there's no heat, as they say in, in the business. There's no heat in there. You know what I mean? No, there's not. I it mean, just, it's just, it, that character's terrible. Yeah. I mean, Drew was good. Like, he went all out, you know, doing his major spots and everything, and he looks great. Um, but you know, just, it's just a match that was just, it was just there, but I'll have to get, uh, some props though. Like that guy. So the match that came up, the Ray Mysterio match, you know, with the Mysterios versus Miz and Logan Paul, well, that Logan yeah. Paul, man, he looked pretty good out there. He actually looked like a, he actually looked like a wrestler and everything. Like I thought he did a, he had like a nice, you know, entrance, uh, <laughs> which is funny though, because I was thinking this, this quote from JR in my head the whole time, um, Shout out to the to the JR podcast. <laughs> so it's like sometimes when like we see like guys that who look good, you know what I mean, like those buff wrestler dudes, and they they come down, but then they totally shit 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 the bed in the ring. JR would be like, "Well, they look good coming out." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like they look good. They look good by an eight by ten. <laughs> this is what we got that going from. And I first yeah. thought, I, at first I thought that was going to be Logan, Call, Logan Paul because like he looked good coming out. He actually like, had a good gear. He had some sort of Pokemon gimmick going on. I thought it was pretty corny, but like I liked the gimmick. Yeah. But then the guy, he was actually wasn't too bad in the ring. You know, he was he was no Pat Mac, Pat McAfee and Adam Cole, but he was pretty good. I thought he was, I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah. So I really don't know who this guy is. Like, is it Logan Paul or Jake Paul? No, it's Logan Paul. Person? It's Logan Paul. Jake Paul is so like they're not the, other the same. One. They're not the same person. No, right? they're not the same. No, but they okay. both they so both do boxing apparently. Apparently, but yeah. isn't isn't this one like really famous for being on YouTube? Well, they they both are. But I'm I'm oh, not I, I'm not see I'm not that easy. I don't really know. I mean, they probably have a bunch of fanboys out there. I don't know. All I know is like yeah, sure. they they're they're famous. They do some boxing for Triller, and. I think it was Jake Paul's the one that beat up a couple of the MMA guys, and I think Logan Paul's yeah. the one who got beat up by Floyd. If I, if and I we saw Lo- we saw Logan Paul last night, right? Yes, we saw the Logan one. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know, like I don't know anything about this guy, but like his whole like gimmick, his whole like thing, to me seems to be like he's a guy that's so rich he can buy expensive Pokemon cards and wear them around his neck. Is that what I'm getting out of this? Uh, Am well, I right the, about this? The, the thing is, so basically, he's a heel. Like kind of like yes, he's so rich he could do all this shit, but they're trying to make him a baby face for some reason. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like with the ending of the match, especially, yeah, yeah, like where Miz turned on it. Well, I mean, fuck, Miz should beat that guy's ass. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just hate this. I hate this stupid Pokemon thing. Why well, are you big? Like, I'm not a big whole, Pokemon like, fan, so I don't know. I didn't, that shit didn't worth two cents to me. But apparently, it's like, a, like some I, pretty big trading card. Yeah, apparently it's like a really like this is like they mentioned this the last time he was on the show too, whatever show he was on where he was wearing some expensive Pokemon card around his neck as a necklace. Yeah. Um so I don't know. I, 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 just think was, that's stupid. I think it's all stupid. I, I thought the match was okay and actually, you know, you know, it was very it was okay. There's a couple of good celebrities that come in to to wrestling and have a good match. You know, obviously the probably the most popular one I could think of is probably Dennis Rodman. You know, and and uh, Carl Malone during the the Nitro eras. Um, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Mike Tyson. He didn't really do a match though. Uh, I think he had a match on Raw one time, but he didn't really do a lot of like pro wrestling matches. Um, but you know, Mr. T. Mr. T. Yeah, exactly. Yo, know, there you go. 
speaking of the 80s, Mr. T is probably like um, the most famous celebrity during the 80s to come into pro wrestling and do, you know, actually he had that boxing match with Roddy Piper, that match at WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania 2, yeah. So. Didn't um didn't um Lawrence Taylor, uh, didn't he yes. main event WrestleMania against Bam Bam Bigelow? Yes, he re- re- main event WrestleMania 11. Yeah. And that match is, so, uh, oh boy, wow. it's a little tough. <laughs> Okay. He was not one of the ones that came through as uh no. as as a good worker, I guess. But it's it's crazy to think though about that WrestleMania because of Steve Michael. He was in that WrestleMania with Lawrence Taylor's camp, and it's just weird to mm-hmm. think that not even a couple of years later he'd be on Nitro. Like being I a I was gonna ask you that. Camp. When was WrestleMania although that well so it was WrestleMania eleven? Yeah, WrestleMania eleven. So I think it was like nineteen ninety four. Or five. That sounds about right. Yeah. Maybe it was five. And not um, even a couple, okay. I mean, like a year or something later, that Steve Michael was on commentary for Nitro. So I thought that was pretty crazy. Yeah. So he was well out of football at that point. He must have been. Yeah. I'm guessing. Because he was on that 83 uh, Chicago Bears team. Yes. That won the Super Bowl. Um, And then, so, you know, surely he didn't play for 10 more years. Yeah. <laughs> um, So he must have been like, Right out of, because uh, I remember him um, as as a four horseman. Yes. Um, and then he became the commentary, which, um, you know. Well, he was the go. commentary. Be- he was on commentary before he was the horseman. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was actually one of the earlier commentary guys before he did before he transitioned into the the four horseman group with his briefcase. That must have been. Yeah. That must have been before they had Heenan. Like who did who replaced him when he went to when he stopped being commentary? Um God, I can't because it would have been Tony Schiavone. Yes, Bobby Heenan. They're like the main two for for the longest time. But I th- I, I think I think the original crew was like Tony Schiavone, Eric Bischoff, and Steve Michael. And my, and my, yeah, you're might you might be right. That might have been the original original commentary crew. Yeah. So I think I think that when they got Bobby, that's um. Oh man, they had Dusty for a while doing the commentary. I know that too. So yeah, he was kind of off and on. He would do the big shows because yeah. because you know for the last couple of years I've been like kind of rewatching uh all the nitros. Of course, now we're a couple of years removed, so I don't really remember everything that happened in his early ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, Dusty would do the big shows like the pay-per-views. Yeah. But, um, and then Mongo went on to be a, a, a wrestler pretty much full time. And then they had Heenan and Tanay and, and, uh, Shivani for the, the most, most of Nitros. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was just Bischoff and. Not Tanay, Zavisco. Yeah. Yeah. Larry Zavisco. Yeah. 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 Tanay, he did the Thunders. That's what it was. Yes. So. But um, speaking of Dusty, mm-hmm. uh, the next match I thought was the best match of the night. Yes, I mean this is probably this is probably a lot of people was like most and uh, some something they really wanted to see during this particular WrestleMania, which was the Seth Rollins. I would say it's open challenge, but Seth Rollins mystery opponent, which turned out to be Cody Rhodes, the son of Dusty Rhodes. The former mm-hmm. AEW president, founder. Pretty crazy how this... Uh, yeah, what a shocking turn of events that was, huh? Yeah. And 
it, it's kind of it's it's very interesting to look at and see you know from obviously an outsider's fan perspective where but i could see you know you know we used to see this all the time in in a way and you know during the the attitude era you know what i mean so you know people go back and forth you know but it just it's crazy to see nowadays um you know somebody who had such a big influence and talked like crazy amount i wouldn't say cra- super bad stuff about wwe all the time but you know it, it, it just it just uh i wouldn't say it's weird but i would say it's definitely it's very intriguing so i thought i thought the movie was pretty good and i actually think that wwe like fits cody pretty well i think so too i mean i think that that's where he should be um I mean, obviously, the thing about Cody is AEW wouldn't exist without him. Um, you know, that was his – he started that ball rolling. The You know, the Young Bucks and Omega would never have thought that they could do that. You know what I mean? Like, they would still be in New Japan at this point, even today. I, I mean, I think that the Young Bucks had an idea that it would be kind of cool if they ran their own promotion – but I don't think that they ever thought that they would be able to get on TBS and and have a national wide promotion. And obviously, without Tony Khan's money, that would never have happened. But Cody is the one that got that ball rolling. He's the one that took you know Meltzer's bet that they could sell out ten thousand seats, and they did. Mm-hmm. And then that's what started all that happening. And Cody, Cody's one of those people who I'm going to say this and it'll sound negative, but I, but I love Cody Rhodes. I love Cody Rhodes more than most AEW fans do. Um, but he's like one of those people who I don't want to say he never had to work for a living, but he didn't really, you know what I mean? Like he always was, you know, his dad was always pretty wealthy and he was, he always had that chance to be a professional wrestler if he asked for it which is why he left originally so that he could do other kinds of wrestling and learn about different kinds of wrestling and experience what other wrestling is like outside of WWE. Um, But he, you know, he, he's, it would occur to somebody like him that, well, let's just start our own promotion because we can do that. Where I think an indie wrestler like the young bucks, like I think it would be, it would be more than they could dream about of doing something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you, you, you could tell right. that, well, yeah, well, you can also tell, you know, co- you know, like Dusty, like he was a prominent figure in wrestling for a lot of, he wasn't just a great, you know, wrestler, a great personality. He did a lot of behind the scenes stuff too. You know, yes. he helped out WCW booking. He helped out WWF probably booking. He helped out a lot of like different t- Florida championship wrestling with their booking and running of the company. Um, a huge figure in the NWA as well, too. So he did a lot of outside projects that necessarily wouldn't just be like going in the ring and entertaining people. So he did a lot of behind the scenes, help run companies, help help companies. You know, look at the stuff he did with developmental, too. And I think that Cody had that mind frame where, hey, you know, I don't only just want to be a performer. You know, I want to help out wrestlers i want to help out the company i want to give ideas i want to help out new start companies i want to help out the business and that's what he did he did that you know he did that yes and he couldn't do that obviously if he was stuck in wwe just playing a character so he just went out and he just he just did he just did his thing like he he 
got himself over in New Japan, you know, Ring of Honor, you know, obviously yeah. got the AEW stuff going on, but he also took outside projects too that would bring more eyeballs to the project, you know, stuff that we probably wouldn't watch, like his Go Big Show, his reality show, but a lot of people do watch that kind of stuff and that can bring new fans in. You know, that's, I know that mm. stuff is important. Like, it's crazy to think, this is going a little bit off the topic, but, you know, that Total Divas show, I I watched like maybe an episode or two. I was never big into that. But do you know how much like female fans I brought into pro wrestling? You know what I mean? I mean? Probably a lot. Yeah. Probably a lot. So it's just crazy. You know, you I respect people who do the outside things because it helps out the company in general. And like Cody, he he was the only person in AEW doing that stuff. You know? Yeah. Like who else like would do outside projects? Like I don't I mean, maybe some like little stuff here and there, but like big shows coming on, he he would be. And you know, WWE, they for all the stuff that they are negative about, they actually do have people do more outside projects that are big time than a lot of other wrestling promotions do. Yeah, and I really think that he should have got more credit. I don't I don't know where the breakdown was, but he should have got more credit from that from Tony Khan, really. Because I think that I what I think, not knowing anything about what's going on, but I think that the breakdown between his and Tony's relationship was that Cody really didn't want to wrestle anymore for the most part. I think he wanted to move to a backstage role, kind of like his dad had, and you know help and help be the booker and you know be an executive by vice president, but that wasn't going to happen. Um, and I, and I, I kind of think that they made that Tony Khan made it kind of clear that he was going to do all the booking and that Cody was just going to be an on-air presence. And I think that maybe Cody should have got more credit for for the stuff that he tried to do for AEW than than he actually ended up getting. Yeah, I can see that. Plus, plus, I mean, like with that last match, not the last match he was ever in, but one of the last matches where they did that terrible t- burning table spot. Oh yeah. Like with with what I don't know how they fucked that up, but whatever they put on him to keep him from burning, like made the table stick to his back, and like you could t- still tell he had scars from that even last night. Yeah, yeah, you could tell like when he goes up, on, up. You can yeah. see, yeah, you can see like his back is still scarred from where those where the where that table burned him like two or three months ago. Well, you know, like that's you know you got to respect you know Cody. He's actually a really good wrestler, and the guy's a little crazy too, man, because his match that he had with Sammy Guevara that ladder match. That was like one of the best liner matches I've ever seen. That shit was yeah crazy. And this guy was pretty much on his way out. I don't know if he knew it at the time, but he was on his way out. So it's pretty pretty crazy. So but but the match that they had I thought was like the match of the night. The crowd was super hyped for Cody. You know, very different reaction than he, than he was getting in ADW. You know, but you know, a lot of times when people come to new territory, you know, they'll get the first reaction, they'll get the cheers, they get everything. And apparently he signed he signed for like a multi year, and we're gonna be hearing I'm him on sure Raw too. So you know it's one of those things where you know wrestling you know especially in WWF, it's great the first debut maybe for a month or two, but we'll see what happens in four months. It's yeah, kind of I mean it, right. It's it's gonna make me watch Raw Monday for sure. Yeah. I mean you know and and I've watched Raw. I can't remember the last time I watched Raw regularly. I mean it's got to have been yeah. More yep. than a year. I watched Raw the night that Liv Morgan got her title shot. Um, and then I watched, uh, then I'm going to watch uh, Monday. Yeah. And then I, I, that'll be two episodes of Raw that I've watched in a year or two. Yeah. Cause I like the text. You're like, oh, I didn't know Edge was wearing some band shirts. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't watch Raw. 
Because I mean, like, because that's why I didn't know who Logan Paul was. I'm like, is he? Has he been appearing on Raw? Maybe. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't fucking know. He's yeah, like, like you guy. I don't know. He's <laughs> like this Pokemon wrestler. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't. Um. I don't know. Um. Apparently, Edge is. I didn't know Edge was a heel. Apparently, he's a heel now. Yes, and he's a weird, weird character, by the way. And AJ Styles is a face, apparently. Yes. Okay, so that's like apparently, completely opposite of what you would think either yeah. one of those guys would be. Apparently, Edge might be getting his own stable too, and he's kind of like he's basically doing like Aleister Black promos. I would say, basically that's taking really over weird. that role. Yeah. So, so I wonder uh, who would be in his stable. Uh, well, we, we probably don't need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. That that could be all day. That, that could, could be all day. day. Yeah. Anyway, so let's move on. Next match we have is uh, Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. Eh. Yeah, yeah, it's as good as he would expect. Yes, I'm not the biggest like Charlotte Flair fan. I mean, I respect some matches that she had, but she's one to me. She's one of those people that, that she has to have the right like dancing partner to have a good match. You know what I mean? Yeah. She can't just go out there. She can't be Ric Flair. You know, Ric Flair can go out there and have a match with anybody. You know what I mean? And be, and he can carry anybody. He can have a match with anybody. He can do their. He could do Ric Flair style, but he can also have a match with anybody. Charlotte, she's just maybe not there yet, you know? But not that she's bad. She has some great matches. It just she has to have the right dancing partner, which is not not a bad thing. You know, some people right. are just like that. You know what I mean? Right. You have chemistry like, some people, you don't. But Yeah, well, right. It's it's one thing to be able to go out and, and be good at your job yeah. and do your job well. But it's another thing to go out with somebody who's not good at their job and you elevate them to a higher level. Yes. You know, those are two completely different things. Yes. And of course, Ric Flair was known for that. Going yes, out there. He was, you, any, yeah. Apparently, anyone could have a. You, you, like, apparently, like, I could be in a ring with Ric Flair and have a good match from yeah. what everybody's saying. And then, you of course, with anybody. The, the, the person nowadays is Daniel Bryan. Bryan Danson. He is the guy that can go out there with anybody. It doesn't matter who. who he, that guy can go out there with anybody and have a great match. That dude is on fire yeah. right now. It's crazy. But to me, though. This is my opinion. You know, I don't mind. You know, Ronda Rousey, her promos totally suck. She should not be a babyface. That's for sure. And I think she should do. I don't know why. I don't know who's training her or something. But she needs to be more like a Zack Saber Jr. She needs to be more like a like a Matt Riddle. You know, like an MMA fighter who could do a lot of submissions and make it smooth. She should do that yeah. style. Like I don't know who. I, I don't know who's trained. It just some of her stuff when she when she's doing the mat stuff, I think she's fine. But like when she does other stuff, it just doesn't look as good. So I yeah, I would she, I don't know why we don't have like Matt Riddle train her or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like somebody exactly. who's done. She should be like yeah. Ken Shamrock or somebody. Yeah. Exactly. Like that style. Like you know a lot of you know like kind of like you know remember we were watch we we watched the Ring of Honor pay per view and we yeah. saw that pure wrestling match yeah. between um. God, who the, and, oh no, uh, Josh Woods yes. and um, Lear Mar- somebody Marathi, Marathi guy, the guy that got beat up by Daniel Bryan. Yeah, like that style of wrestling with the, uh, you know, I know it's not like the, that's like the big style of wrestling, but I think if Ronda Rousey learned like some stuff like that, because that Josh Woods guy was pretty impressive, and he mostly was he was basically mixing MMA style with pro wrestling, and I think it's just yeah. for some reason when Ronda does it, it just doesn't look as like natural. 
But you know, I think if we had her train with some people like who didn't who did MMA and then transitioned to wrestling and are pretty good at it now, like Matt Riddle or something like that, I think she could be a very solid in the ring. It just I don't know. They're just making her do too much stuff that I don't I think is not natural to her. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah I would completely agree. Like I think that and I'm sure there's some people out there that are going to say that I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not in the business, but I am a oh. fan. And if you want to make me watch the show, yeah. then these are the things that I think you should change about her um, other than everything. Um, I mean, I do like her. Like, I think she has a good personality that people would like. Yeah. Um, even if she was a face, but like, she just has no, What's the word I'm looking for? Like she has no, she has a good personality in a way, but she has no charisma. Yeah. Like she has no charisma. She has, she has, she does nothing to make me want to engage with her at all. Like she's just that awkward person that you meet on the street that you don't really know what to say. Yeah. And she has a, they tell her to smile more because she's a face, but she has those stupid, goofy, cutesy smiles. Yeah. And she shouldn't be she like fucking that. She points at everything. Yeah. She should be like, like a killer. She just fucking points. Uh-huh. Right. She should be like a killer. She fucking points at everything <laughs> with that goofy, like, anime character look on her face. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, she has <laughs> this, like, pouty look on her face, and then she'll point at the WrestleMania sign. And yeah. then they put her all in this weird, like, like exaggerated makeup all the time. Like, remember last year, or not, not the year before last, I guess, when she debuted at WrestleMania, she was wearing that, like, huge, like, smeared makeup all over her face and like it was very similar this time um which i can only assume they try to do something because that venue is so big that it lets you see their eyes better but but nobody else is doing that shit so i don't know why she's doing it and i just think that looked where they need to change that um they need to get rid of the rowdy roddy piper stuff because it doesn't make any sense anymore it doesn't make any sense for her to come out to a kilt they need to change her entrance music because i hate that um I don't like these are the things that I think that they sh- they could change and make her better. They need to give her some kind of badass entrance music that's not Joan Jett and, you know, just have her come out and like beat people up. Yeah. And submit people and that kind of thing. But I think the problem is like she's not a good USC fighter anymore because like she she lost that match and then she was never the same again. She never won again. And then um um she she um she lost that match and she was never the same again, and then she's just never really come across as a as a wrestler either. So I'm not really sure what the solution to this problem is. I mean, like I said, like I mean, it just depends. It just depends about where they want kind of want to take her character. It just to her, she she probably could benefit from a. A heel run, I would say, and just probably just go all all out with it because I think she could be a pretty good like heel, and then make her such a great heel that she can later on be a babyface, kind of like one of those things. But, but you know, I don't even know if she's gonna even like come back or return. You never know with her, so it's just up and down. So, yeah. Well, didn't they show her a kid on the show, like on WrestleMania with her husband? Uh, they might have. I might have missed that. Um, because like. <laughs> Like, I mean, she left WrestleMania to have that kid, and the kid looks like it's like two now or three. Like, it's been so long since she's wrestled a match or kids growing up. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just don't understand, like, well, I do understand. She had, she was a big name, I guess, and they signed her. That, that's why she, she has a spot she's in. 
But she lost. I mean, Samoa I was... Joe doesn't have a job, but she she does. Well, mainstream man, mainstream. But uh, right. I was pretty surprised she lost though. So that was pretty. That was that was a little shocking. But up next we have the Stone Cold Return on the Kevin Owens Show, and this was like a weird, but I could see it's kind of a it's very interesting for the main event of WrestleMania to be like a talk show segment. Where they're like talking, and then later on there's a match. But, but they redeemed yeah. it, though. Yeah, exactly. So at first, it was just a normal talk show with normal dialogue. The thing I noticed, though, was, you know, Kevin Owens obviously is pretty good. And, you know, he's been doing this for all. It just, I just felt like when it comes to the actual talking, they didn't want Stone Cold to do, like, a ton. They just wanted him to hit some of his catchphrases and maybe a word or two. You know, Austin, like, he was a great promo but I think it's just because I, I, I feel like they were kind of like limiting him on his like, his like talking, on this particular segment. What do you think? Well, maybe. So okay, here's what I think about Austin. So I think by the end of Austin's career, he had ruined himself with that what shit that he started. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when like he he started that. It. Like the yeah. audience. The audience did not start that. He started that. Yeah. Where, you know, he would like say something and they would say what and he would say something else. But now he can't deliver a promo because he can only say one line and then they say what? <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it, it like it, it grates on everyone's nerves. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's a WWE crowd. That's why they like it because they're fucking idiots, I guess. But, um, but uh, you know, I, I just, but I think that that was one of the, one of the things they were doing was trying to keep him from having to do long promos like he used to do because they were going to interrupt him every sentence anyway. But also they were like also trying to put over um, how bad Kevin Owens life choices were, you know, cause the whole thing, especially like where like, you know, stone cold is like, it was like one of those things where it was like, like Austin didn't even know what to say. Um, I didn't bring you here to talk. I brought I brought you here to fight because I want to fight Stone Cold. Yeah, and, and then just like the look on his face, like how like how ridiculous this is. Like, why would you want to fight one of the baddest people to ever live? Yeah, and I thought the, I thought the uh, the uh, match, if you can call it. I mean, yeah, it was it was a match. You know, there was a lot of brawling, a lot of punches, yeah, a couple of kicks in there. It was it was starting off a little slow, but then it looked like he was gaining. Like more energy is more beer he drank, the more energy he gained. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, he did look kind of old. Like you could, uh, like you know, you could tell that he's almost sixty. Well, he looked like Goldberg um, out there. You know, they kind of had like similar look in a way. Who also looks really old. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> but huh. yeah, but I mean, it was good. Um, one thing that was surprised me was Byron Saxton really took a really good stunner. Yeah. Well, I think he took uh, he took one amazing. before. Like he took one at that three sixteen day during the pandemic. So okay, I probably didn't watch that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably the only one that remembered that. <laughs> but I thought you know I I I was surprised that Austin took a bump and he took a bump and it was only outside of the ring. Like he was taking bumps like outside of the. Ring. I don't remember if he even took one inside the ring, but he took oh, like he weird. took a suplex on the floor, the concrete floor. He took a post. Um, he, he went against the barricade. I was like, okay, at least he's taking some bumps and shit. That's pretty crazy. And then, of course, he was just beating Kevin Owens' ass. He didn't do some of his sig- sig- signature spots. 
he did a couple of them, but he didn't do all of them. Like he didn't do the Thez press. He didn't do the running to the ropes and doing the 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 elbow into the face. Uh, we did. Oh the, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did the he did when the he flipped you off. Yeah, when he, yeah, and then he he did the he did do the stomps in the corner, the stomp in a mud hole in his ass. That's what I like to call it in the corner. <laughs> and then he drank his beer. Right. So I thought it was it it turned out to be a better segment than I thought, and then that I think that you thought as well too. Yes, it was much better than I thought because I thought this show was going to end on basically a talk show and then um, Kevin Owens was going to get beat up for about you know two or three minutes and that was going to be the end of WrestleMania. Yeah. But it actually was a lot better than I thought. So definitely um, a fun show. Um, tonight will be number two, so we'll see how that goes. Looks like tonight's not going to have as many surprises um, it's not gonna, I don't know, I mean, obviously the AJ and Edge match should be good, so it should be a yes. pretty, pretty fun show, so. Yeah, that might be the match of the night tonight. Yeah. Um, I mean, tonight I'm only really interested that I can think of in seeing the tag match, um, the Raw tag match, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, AJ and Edge, and then Raymond, Raymond, Roman <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Raymond Reigns. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Raimi Reigns. Brock. <laughs> Sam Raimi Reigns. <laughs> <on the show. laughs> exactly. Um, to see who wins that. But um, but yeah, so that would be our segue into Evil Dead, I guess. Yes. Let's get on into the main portion of our show. Starting off our, our April month hot with some Evil Dead reviewing. So mm. before we get into the movie, I just want to talk a little bit more. You know, we talked a little, a little bit more about the, the movie at the beginning of the show, but... You know, this movie was actually inspired by a short film called Within yes. the Woods, made in 1978. And this is the this is kind of like where, you know, you you, you kind of make like a short film and you, then you try to uh, show it in front of a bunch of people to try to get a um, bigger one made. So trying to get like a more trying to get some backers behind this. You know, nowadays we would do like a, a Kickstarter. You know, what I mean, like you would. Uh, you know, you would make a project and you would put it on YouTube or something or put it on a certain campaign and you would keep showing it. Then you would ask for some backing or if anybody wanted to back it or you try to get it up to some executives or some friends, you know, to try to get some more budget for the film. You know, during this day, they had, a, they had like a, you know, had like on tape or like like a little film tape and they're trying to show it from a bunch of people, but nobody was buying it <laughs> for a long time. So they eventually got some yeah. budget to do the film and then basically it was a whole crew from um michigan they all went to this uh, certain cabin in the tennessee area so yeah which is not far from where we are right now yes and which part was it when they filmed this in um they're in um uh what's that little town it's near it's near it's kind of between knoxville and gatlinburg i think it's called uh uh Mor- morristown yeah morristown, yes. morristown tennessee so pretty, pretty crazy stuff when it comes in. But, um, yeah. you know, enough backstory and everything. Let's get into the actual Evil Dead, a.k.a. Book of the Dead. Yeah, I think the alternate titles are all better than Evil Dead, by the way. I think Within the Woods or uh-huh. Book of the Dead would have been a better title. than. You don't like Evil Dead? I don't. I just think it's generic sounding. Yeah, a little bit. I mean. Well, it's crazy because. You know, when you see like the behind the scenes, the whole running title for the 
for the for the movie was Book of the Dead. Yes. So, huh. I mean, I thought Book of the Dead was a pretty good, would have been a pretty good title too. But Evil Dead kind of seems like it's more like franchisey. You know what I mean? It does. So, but let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into the Evil Dead. girlfriend, you take care of her. So, we have arrived, and right off the bat, like, the camera work in this reminded me a lot of Last House on the Left, where it was, like, shot in that kind of, like, home video back then type of thing, you know, what is it called, 16 millimeter, or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, sure this was 16 millimeter. So, I thought that was very, very, you know, I, I noticed that right off the bat, because, you know, obviously... You could tell right away, okay, there's not going to be a shit ton of Hollywood production behind this movie, but you could tell there's some stuff going on. So we see the yellow car, which has been in Sam Raimi's movies. It was even in Spider-Man. He likes to uh, had that car appear out of everywhere. Do you remember what kind of car it was? Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I f- I'd forgotten that until you just mentioned it, that yellow car is in every one of his movies. Yeah, I think, it's, almost the, all I think it's a Plymouth. But So we're starting out the Evil Dead. We have our cast in the car. We have Ash, which is, of course, Bruce Campbell, a.k.a. Ashley. I think this is, like, the only movie he was, like, known as Ashley, too, because I remember them just saying Ash in the rest of the movies. We yeah, have I think his, they just call him Ash the rest of the time. Yeah, we have his girlfriend, Linda, with the Michigan shirt on. And we have um, Cheryl. And we have Shelly. And then we have our boy, Scotty. And they're all taking a nice little trip to a cabin in the woods. And, you know, in this car scene, you know, they're just talking a little bit about, you know, we got this cabin for cheap. Uh, some people were like, some of the girls like, I don't know, you know, what, how's it going to look in there? Is it going to look like crappy? So we're basically, you know, normal horror movie stuff. Teens taking a trip into the cabin and seeing what's happened. But we can see where 
we have the camera. So this movie does a great job of having the camera like slow motion throughout everything. And apparently that was just Sam Raimi just like uh, walking sometimes or strapping the camera onto him. And the first scene kind of shows it going through a lake. And we basically have this whole like there's something following the kids or like this particular area, something out yeah. there. And the car eventually almost crashes into a truck. And the the truck, and then eventually, before it crashes into it, he spins it out. And the guy was like, hey, didn't you get this car checked? He's like, yeah, I got it checked. It should have been good. And the guy was like, we should have got it checked better. <laughs> should take it yeah, back. Yeah, because the steering's messed up, right? Yeah. Because when you get your... <laughs> I always thought that was really funny because, like, it's the, you know, because he's complaining that steering doesn't work well, but the car should have been checked. Like, you don't check the steering in a car. It either works or it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so now they're about to go over a bridge. The bridge says, drive at your own risk. It's like 300 tons or something. And I, 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 Ash was like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Just don't worry about it. They go over the bridge. And, of course, they get a, the, the, the tire stuck part of the bridge. He looks out. He freaks out. And they eventually get over the bridge. They um they arrive to the cabin and it was funny because they're all like out there like looking at this thing like we ain't going to that fucking place and then it was like Scotty he's the one that actually eventually goes inside uh to the cabin and you could tell right away that, okay this is kind of a creepy looking cabin you know right and so I was gonna say one thing about this scene that so this movie legitimately scares me like I feel like this movie there's a lot of goofy shit in it. But that are, is unintentional. But this movie like legitimately scares me. And one of the first things that scares me about it is the is the uh, swing the the porch swing. Yeah, because the porch swing is just like it's it's almost like it's um being hit, moved by the wind and it keeps hitting the the side of the house. But then like as soon as he walks up to the door, it just stops. Yeah, it just stops. Yeah, yeah. It's just like this movie just terrifies me. But anyway, and he goes in, starts looking around a little bit. And then everybody starts uh, getting their stuff to get all packed in. And then now we see uh, Cheryl. She is drawing a clock. All right. And then eventually something possesses her hand. And she just, she starts to draw a particular book out of this, out of this possessed hand that she has. So we're yeah. showing some weird stuff happening, and it seems to be happening to Cheryl first. And then after that, she actually looks around, and she can kind of hear some noises coming from a little, um, like a little door that leads to the basement. Then we cut to Ash. He is now toasting everybody. They're about to have some dinner. They're all toasting. He says like some sort of joke, and then out of nowhere, that gate pops up. And they all like freak out, and they all go to the gate, and they all look at. And then, of course, you know, normal stuff like, oh, maybe it's some sort of animal or not tonight. Mm. And then nobody wants to go down there. But then Scott, he agrees to go down there. So yeah, he it's goes, like a trap door in the floor that yes. goes to the basement. Yes. So he the goes. Cellar. Yes. So he goes down there. He starts look, looking around. Eventually, you know, they're like, hey, Scott, you down there? You Scott, you're not saying anything. So eventually, uh, Ash goes down there, brings a little lantern with him. Starts to look around, and then Scott scares him. So it was a little prank. And he's like, hey, man, I found some cool stuff around here. So this is when we see, you know, we get the we get a lot of the tropes of the movie. And I thought one of the little hidden, it wasn't really hidden Easter eggs. It was right there, but it was the uh, Hills of Eyes poster that was all ripped up. 
Oh, that was part was pretty cool. And then they yeah, that was like definitely a throw uh, a, a tribute to uh, Wes Craven for sure. Yes, and then they start looking at the, the uh, you know they find a shotgun, they find the book, they find um, that little sword with a skull on it, they find a, a recorder system, and eventually you know Scott's like, hey, look at all this cool stuff, and you know they're kind of looking through the book and everything. They're not really you know sure what it is, but he's like, hey. Uh, and then like Scott with the swords, like it kind of looks like your old girlfriend. And they start like laughing and stuff. <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> so it's like, Hey, bring up the recorder and I'll bring everything else up there. So this is when we see a little bit of lightning in the moon. So did you know how they made their moon in this movie? I thought it was kind of a neat. Uh, no, I did not know that. So apparently they made it like in a bathtub. Hmm. Like somehow they, 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 they cut like a moon shape. I, I think I got this right. They cut like a little moon shaped thing and they put it in the bathtub and then they poured like ink or something on it and that's what made it like kind of like a like a moon with like clouds over it. So they just added a part of the film. So a lot of a lot of like creative. Uh, now you know during this particular period there wasn't a whole lot of CGI if none. So a lot of the stuff was mostly yeah. like stop animation or stop motion when it comes to that. Yeah, I doubt there was really any CGI at this point, especially not a lot like that. But yeah, um, but that's pretty that's pretty cre- creative though. I mean, I wouldn't have thought to be, to do that. Yeah. So I'm not like I said, I'm not exactly sure, but I've heard that's how like they made the little moon something with like a bathtub and some ink or something. So they eventually play this tape, and it's from this doctor. It's Ken. And he's talking about like how his, him and his wife, um, you know, came to this cabin to do some more research about demonic possession. Uh, they found a book, um, and the book, you know, has a lot of like demon. It, the book is basically made of human skin and written in human blood, and it has a lot to do with like demon possession. Um, they basically call it the Necronom, the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. All right, and they also had a different name for it too. This this. Um, What's it called? Starts the, with the um, uh, uh, nat naturum demanto or something like that. They yes. called it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Necronomicon is they got that from that's from H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. Which also makes this a full core movie, kind of. Yep. There you go. Transitioning. Yeah. That's what from we our last month. And then eventually, um, the uh, Cheryl girl she eventually starts freaking out about this tape and wants it to stop. All right, and then and then after that, the Scotty he plays the tape again. We hear some some tongues happening, and eventually Cheryl just like freaks out and she shuts it off and she has to go down. She has to go into her room, and then this is when Scott and, and Ash are kind of bickering back and forth about the tapes. And then we also have a branch where it breaks a tree as well. Mm, breaks the window. Yeah, break, yeah, breaks the window. Yes, yes. So Ash has now gone up to Linda and he's like, Hey, do you want to stay up and listen to the storm? And then she's and then she's like, Okay, let me go um let me go check on Cheryl first. And then and and then while she goes and checks Linda goes checks on her, um Ash has a little present, which turns out to be a necklace in his hand. So then this is like a weird scene where it's like pretending to be sleeping and we get a bunch of close up shot of the eyes. And eventually he, she like catches him and she's all like, um, 
you know, oh, you look. And she, like, takes the little gift from his hand. She's like, you're stealing from the blind. So they're just playing, like, they're like a cute little couple. Yeah, I thought that that's what the scene was about, <clears throat> right? Yes. Was that they were just trying to show that Ash and Linda were, like, this cute little couple. Yes. And, and then he eventually he puts the necklace on her, and she says, I will never take it off. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. And then they start kissing. So now we have that view where the camera is looking all around the house. I uh, love that. Yeah. So, you know, that, that this review always remind this camera review always reminds you of Halloween cuz I think Halloween was probably the one that first that did it. Um, mm-hmm. but I thought the the way that Sam did it, he made it like very like creepy, you know, it, it fit the movie very well doing this particular yeah. camera scene. I, I think anytime they do this camera scene, it, it's it's done very well. And we've seen it done in a, a ton of movies before. You know, even like newer movies like Strangers have, have done that camera review before. Yeah. Um, but in this though, there, what I think is scary about this scene is that they, the camera view does a really good job of, um, making you feel like that there's actually something there. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. looks like a person or something is, is actually moving around. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look like a camera view. It looks like the actual view of some thing. And like everybody on the inside is doing just regular things like changing clothes or, or whatever. And, um, you know, they're, so they're not reacting to it, but it's like, there's this really creepy idea that there's this thing that's watching them from the outside. Like, I think that's a scary idea. You know what I mean? Like, like there could be something, um, outside watching you in the dark. Yeah, it's definitely very like easy camera trick to do, but it it ha- if you've done it right, like you're saying, it's very creepy in that in that yeah. way. Yeah, easy is better sometimes. So we see this camera view. You know, was looking at Ash and Linda. They're by the fire. We see Scott and Shelley. They're like kind of like getting dressed, about to go to sleep. Then we see Cheryl. She is um, just reading a little book, and then you can hear a whisper saying, "Join us, join us," and she's like, she hears That's it. Fine. And she's looking through the window, and she's looking outside, and then she eventually just goes outside. I'm like, oh, fuck. This girl, <laughs> she's like, fuck it. I'm just going like, to go outside. And she goes outside, like, hey, I heard you. Is anybody out there? And then, of course, we hear, like, the little wolf, you know, the little wolf and stuff. And um, she's in a bathrobe this whole time, and now she's walking through the forest. And she's like, I know somebody's out there. I heard you in the, in the cellar. And I heard I heard these weird noises, so I know yeah. somebody's out here taunting me. And then we right. see a ton of smoke everywhere, and this is when we see a bunch of trees start moving around, like a couple of branches start moving around while she's walking. Right. And, and she's it, not even wearing shoes, right? Uh, no, she's not wearing shoes. Yeah, like there is no like none of the nothing in this scene makes any sense. Like yeah. there is like it doesn't make sense that she would even as freaked out as she was about it. Like, it's weird that she would go investigate it by herself. Yeah. Because she hears this thing talking. And then um, only to her at this point. And um, she's then also like no one. There is no. I mean, I know everybody's not from there, but there's no way that you would go out in November in Tennessee in the woods with no shoes on. Yeah. And just a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. That would never happen. Trying to find something. So this is when we get the, the branches. They start attacking her now. And start ripping themselves get her. They eventually rip off uh, the bathrobe. She's just under some shorts and a t-shirt right now. 
They start wrapping herself against the leg, pushes her down, and of course, you know, at first, you know, they 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 open up the legs a little bit and stuff. So we, you know, once they start opening up the legs, okay, this is a little weird. But it wasn't <laughs> until the final scene where the fucking stick just goes right into her fucking stuff. I was like, oh yeah. shit! I remember seeing that from the first time. I was like, okay, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I mean, I wouldn't say I was shocked, but I was yeah. like, holy shit! Like, I didn't. I did not think that was going to be what happened here. Yeah, and of course, um, you know, the, with the branch, you know, wrapping around her boob as well too. I was like, okay, this 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 uh, branch is trying to cop a field. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good effect, though. I wonder how yeah. they did that with on the budget that they had. Like how they did. Maybe it was stop motion. Yeah, stop motion. I don't, know. Motion I don't know how they way. did that, but that was kind of cool the way they they wrapped the the branches around her legs the one they could have done that in reverse motion i guess they could have wrapped it wrapped it around her legs and slowly pulled them off but mm-hmm. then reverse the film so it looked like it was going around her yeah but the ones where it was like i'm um, wrapping around her boobs i have no idea how they did that so she eventually escapes after this tree was trying to get get itself some and she's running all throughout this forest and i actually thought this this of her running scared was very well done like it kind of reminded me of the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one, the, the original one, when she was running kind of like through the forest and stuff or running out, out back. You know, just, I like the, this type of running. Like, this, this it just makes you feel like, okay, this is like, looks a little more realistic. You know what I mean? Not a whole lot yeah. of camera cuts, almost like just almost like one shot in a way, you know, going through the forest, taking real bumps and stuff, running to the door, mm-hmm. screaming. I thought this was really well done. Of course, you had that camera following her throughout the forest too. That little camera that guides to guide you, like, kind of like the guiding course to her. Eventually, she's trying to bang on the door and everything, and eventually, she she nobody's hearing her or anything. She tries to grab the key, but the key's stuck. And eventually, Ash opens up the door, grabs her hand, and pulls her inside. And then Cheryl's not freaking out. She's like, "We gotta get out of here. I'm not staying here at all. The forest is." Eh. And then Ash's like, "Oh, did something get you out in the forest?" She was like, yes. No, not something in the forest. The forest is alive. The forest was attacking me. And of course, everybody's just thinking like, okay, she's just a little crazy over here. And she's like, no, I want to get out of here. I want to go stay somewhere in town. We have to go right now. And eventually Ash agrees, okay, I will take you out of town. And then everybody else is just kind of like staring at her. Like they don't know what's going on. So eventually Ash brings her into the car. They all stare. They, uh, there was a really cool shot where they're all like looking at her. And they have that light in the background. So you're like, it's, you can't even see their faces, really. And uh, they eventually go. And they go to the bridge. And Ash, like, there's a ton of smoke in this movie. Like, they, I think half the movie was done on fog. <laughs> like, this movie had a ton of fog in it. Um, yeah. Well, did you, did, did they talk about how they did the fog in the documentary you watched? No. No, I didn't. I didn't. But it was... Yeah, it was like this oil-based fog. It was made like, um, basically, the way I understand that a uh, vape thing works now. You know how people vape or whatever. Yeah, yeah I don't know that. So I don't do that. So I don't know anything about it. But, um, but apparently that's how it works. So you had this oil, like in a like an like a oil in a um, in a container, and then it would go through a coil that heated it up, and then it would make fog. Um, but then sometimes they were saying that it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't. Um, heat up enough quick enough so it would squirt this like really hot oil like all over you and they would constantly get burned because of uh of the oil but yeah it was like this they used all of this like vapor fog constantly through this entire movie which i think is one of the things that makes the movie look good yeah definitely 
And I like the part where like they're in the car and the car won't start. And Cheryl's like, it won't let us leave. And then the car like just starts. <laughs> so they're going. I mean, she's not wrong though. Yeah, she's not wrong. So they're going. Um, so everybody goes back inside and then they eventually go up to the, um, so they eventually go and, uh, Ash stops the car. He's like, Hey, wait here. So he goes up to see, you know, what's going on with the bridge. And eventually, Ashley, and eventually, um, Cheryl, she doesn't get out. She uh, walks up and she sees the bridge is all messed up now, broken everything. And then she starts freaking out a little bit. And eventually, Ash grabs her. And then she's like, really like, you know, like, oh, it won't let us leave. It won't let us leave. Like, you got to listen to me. It's not going to let us leave. And then we see Scott. He's now chopping some wood back inside the house. And then we have um, Ash. He is listening to the tape again, just by himself. And the guy on the tape is saying, you know, my wife became a demon. Um, the only way to stop her and these demons is to do total body dismemberment. Oh, yes. <laughs> and one thing I was thinking of, too, is that people who aren't from this area might, might think that, well, why don't they just go another way? Instead of taking that bridge, one of this go another way. Yeah. There probably isn't another way to get out of here. Like a lot of those really like, you know, Eastern Tennessee, Western North Carolina back back roads. Like there's one way to get places and that's it. Well, they do bring you know, it up dirt road and that's it. They do bring up later on that there was a trail that they found. But the problem was the, 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 the trees and stuff kept attacking everybody. So. Oh, yeah. You definitely can't go through the woods. Yeah. You get attacked. Kill you. Yeah. So while Ash is listening to this tape, um, Linda and Shelly, they're playing cards. And eventually, you know, Linda's doing pretty good about guessing it. But then Cheryl, out of nowhere, says, oh, it's this card. It's the she kept guessing all these cards. And then she looks yeah. over, and she is now turned into a possessed demon. Also terrifying. Yes. Where she's, like, guessing all the cards and getting more, like... Like, uh, her voice gets more exaggerated as she starts guessing cards and she gets yes. more possessed. Terrifying. And it basically is saying, like, why have you desert, why have you disturbed our sleep? Uh, you all will die. One by one, you all, we will all take you. And then she falls down. That, I love yeah. that too. Like, the whole, like, it, one by one, we will take you. God, it's so yeah. it's just creepy. Like it's scary. This is truly a scary movie. Yeah. As opposed to the bullshit we see today, where it's just jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. It's just like they're just creepy voices that just terrify you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It just it literally legitimately scares me. And then eventually, you know, uh, she's fell down, so they they kind of go up and look at her, like see what's going on. And eventually she grabs like a pencil and then she fucking stabs the fuck out of Linda's ankle, which is one of our first like crazy gory scenes. Mm-hmm. Looks and, like it hurts. Yeah. And then she, and then Cheryl starts whooping everybody's ass and our boy, our boy Ash takes his first bump into a bookcase, which is <laughs> if this was Allison's birthday, he'd be dead by now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the deadly bookcase Death. of doom. <laughs> Death by bookcase, but uh, Ash is Ash is tougher as he goes on to show us yes. <laughs> that he's the toughest person that has ever lived. Yes, 
And then eventually Scott pushes her down into the basement. Then they, they basically lock Cheryl up in his basement. Cheryl is now Demon Cheryl, and she's been locked up in his basement now. And this is when um, he this is when Ash he puts Linda to sleep. And and then um, they're basically he's bringing up to Scott like, you know, we should get out of here. Like we we gotta we should probably leave this place. And this is when, you know, saying like, well, the bridge is not there. And um, Shelly, she's like freaking out a little bit. She's like, look, what's going on with Cheryl? Like, look at her eyes. What's wrong with her eyes? And I was just thinking, fuck, man, her face is crazy. Like, fuck, fuck her eyes. Like, <laughs> her whole body is fucking like this girl's. <laughs> she looks like she, she looks like a demon, basically, like fuck her eyes, man. <laughs> yeah, like her whole face is all fucked up, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Well, what's wrong with her eyes?" Yeah. So, and she's like, she's making these horrible noises, yeah. and then eventually, you know, Scott calms down Shelly. So, and and then eventually, um, she's like, you know, they think there's something out there. Shelly, Shelly's saying like, "Hey, you know." She's looking at the window. She's like, I think there's something out there, like, trying to get me. And then Scott was like, listen, you just need to go to sleep. And, you know, we'll figure out what to do, you know, in the morning time. And then eventually something, like, burst through the window. And this is when, like, Ash, like, he is, like, just on a couch, just chilling out. And then Scott goes into Shelly's room. Because they had to like a, a crash go through a room, so he's searching through a room and everything. He's you know looking out the window, looking into the closet, looking into the bathroom, and eventually he was in the bathroom. He turns around. That's where uh, Shelly is. She is now turned into a demon. She starts attacking Scott by scratching his face. So you know this movie did have a couple of those slow jump scares, but they were done very well. Yes, there was there were some jump scares like. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few, but it, it's not overly done, and and it and it leads it it builds suspense. Like you don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, and these people kind of react in a way that you know regular people might react in this situation. Like you know, like their friend gets possessed by a demon, and they don't really know what to do, so they lock her into a into the cellar. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what else I would do in that situation. So eventually, when um, Shelly is now attacking Scott and everything, he eventually burned, got, got, you know, got some fire on her face and starts burning and stuff. But he, t- you know, puts the fire out because he's still, you know, obviously this is still his friend. You know, she, he doesn't know what's happening to her. And the demon's like, "Oh, thanks. I don't know what I would have done if you would have kept having me burn." And then eventually, um, Ash gets closer to, and he gets knocked into a bookcase again. <laughs> so. And then, of course, the demon kept saying, join us, join us. Um, and then eventually, uh, Scott, he, he cuts the demon arm because they have that, that, uh, that little skull knife. And then eventually, they, they're going back and forth. And then eventually puts the skull sword in the back of Shelly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, during this, they're all like, you know, this is like when we get the, the, the makeup. We got some blood. We got some white shit happening everywhere. So she keeps spitting all this shit out. Yeah, it's so it, gross. Yeah. Like, it's just so gross. <laughs> yeah. And then this is when Scott and Ash kind of look at each other. Like, we don't know what the hell's going on. And this is when the uh, the, the demon Shelly grabs Scott. 
Scott gets away and he eventually grabs an axe and he starts chopping up Shelly's body. And then while he's doing this, Ash just looks like freaked out in the corner. So, and this is when, you know, he's chopping up her legs, arms, head, everything. This guy is not stopping. And then he was all like, Ash was like, Scott, what are we going to do? You know, she's a friend of ours, you know? And then Scott was like, he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to bury her. We're going to bury her right now. And then Ash says, um, we can't bury Shelly. She was our friend. Yeah. She was our friend. So then they go bury Shelly uh, uh, out there. And then Scott's like, listen, man, I got to get out of here now. And then Ash is like, man, we, we can't leave. Linda, like her leg is all fucked up. She can't walk through the forest with her leg. She's all like, listen, like, like, uh, you know, the bridge is, I know the bridge isn't messed up, but I think I could find a hiking trail around here. There has to be like an old hiking trail I can go around. And then like, Ash's like, well, there has to be another way. Like, Linda, she can't even walk or stand. He's like, listen, man, like, you you and Linda, you guys are a thing. Like, that's, you know, that that's your girlfriend. You, you, you got to take care of her. I don't care about, you know, you guys. You know? I don't care about it if that's your girlfriend. I, I got to leave. So Scott eventually just leaves. He gets his stuff and goes. And then, then Ash goes back inside. We have the Cheryl demon taunting Ash. Ash checks on Linda. And then when he goes to see Linda's little wound, we could see like veins or like the black, it kind of like that black ooze from like X-Files, like took over her whole body. And now she has turned it to a demon. Yeah. I thought that scene was really cool. Yes, it was great. So she turns and then she is now became like, she basically became like a demon laughing clown. <laughs> Hers did. And now Scott, yeah. he's like ran in the door. He's all fucked up with the scratches all over him and stuff. Like all basically on his deathbed. And then Linda's like laughing throughout all this stuff, like a clown. And then Ash's like, oh man, you'll be okay. And then, um, and then, you know, Scott was like, Cheryl was right. We're all going to die. Says, we're all going to, we're all going to die. Then Scott, you know, Ash is trying to calm him down stuff. He says like, he's like, there's no way around the bridge. Like I went out to the forest and then basically what happened was he was out in the forest just for a little bit, but the forest attacked him. Yeah. And he's basically saying, I don't want to die. He said, there is a trail, but the trees, you know, they, they know, they know Ash, (laughs) they know they are alive. And then all the demons start laughing and stuff like the, the Cheryl demon, the Linda demon, they all start laughing. Hmm. Yep. And then and this, now Ash is by himself. Yes. And then eventually Scott's like saying, kill her. You need to kill her. Then then um, Ash grabs a shotgun, which wasn't deemed his boomstick yet. It's just a regular shotgun right now. No, he's a different kind of character at this point. Like he hasn't, yeah. he hasn't got to uh, the Ash type character that he would be yes. later on. So... So basically, you know, he's about to shoot her and stuff. But then... Linda turns back into her old character, saying, help me, please help me, Ash. And then we also see Cheryl. She turns back into her normal self, saying, let me out of here. I'm okay now. I'm okay. Out. Let me let me out. And then, you know, <laughs> Ash like, kind of goes up to there, and he kind of like leans his ear onto where Cheryl was at. And then, boom, that hand grabs up and tries to grab him and shit. 
And then basically, when, when he had the hand grab him and stuff, apparently his uh, his sister was the one that was Cheryl. He's like, and he's like, you bastard, why, why are you guys torturing me like this? And then Linda turns back into a clown as well, too. And they're like, we're going to go get you. And then he eventually just like grabs Linda and like drags her outside. And then pulls her outside. We see a, a blood moon this time. <clears throat> he just grabs her outside and comes back inside. He gives Scott some water, you know, saying like, hey, you know, the sun's almost up. You'll be up. And, and then we'll, when the sun gets up, we'll, we'll all get out of here and we'll all be okay. <laughs> you, me. And he's like, you, me, Shelly. He's like, well, well, not Shelly. Like, yeah, <laughs> Shelly, yeah, she's, she's pretty much dead. <laughs> Well, not Shelly. Yeah, not not Shelly. <laughs> All of us, but her. She's like she's kind of cut up right now. <laughs> and then he starts to hear us laughing. And then this is when Linda comes in and starts cutting him. And then when he, she cuts him with that, like, kind of like that demon sword, she starts to lick the blood off of it too. And then they start fighting yeah. a little bit. She says, "Join us. You will join us." Um, and then during this time, um, Cheryl. The demon show, she was eventually escaping out of her, uh, her, her little locked up cabin. All right. And this is when Ash, he eventually stabs Linda in the back. Okay. So this is when Ash drags Linda to like, basically dra- drags her into like the area to chain her up and he grabs a, uh, a chainsaw and he is about to go chop her up. Because, you know, obviously the tape says the only way to kill these demons is if you t- do total body dis- 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 disvourment. Right. And he's about to do it, but then he sees the necklace. He's like, I just can't do it. Can't do it. So then he goes and starts to make a grave. And to go bury her. Now he's going to bury her instead of cutting her up. Yes. And this is when Cheryl, she's making more progress of getting out of the basement. So while he was going to go bury the Linda demon eyes open, she eventually gets starts to attack him. He takes like this like pillar or something like that, starts whacking her around the place. It just whacks her in much. And then he uh, eventually was going to go put her in the gravesite. And he eventually puts her in the gravesite, buries her. He sees the necklace that he gave her on the floor. And right when he wanted to go get for the necklace... Linda's hands grab him, and she gets out of the burial site. And then she starts, uh, then this is when he starts kicking her ass with the board. And then he eventually whacks her head off. And then all the blood starts pouring on him from Linda's dead body while the, the, the head was laughing. Right. So this is the first time we see, like, one thing that about all of these movies is that anytime there's any kind of bodily fluid that squirts out, it always ends up like squirting all over Ash's face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> doesn't he cut her head off with a shovel? Like yeah, he yeah, the shovel, shovel and yeah, cuts her shovel. head off. Yeah, and then her body falls on him, and then like he just yeah. squirts his like gooey blood all over his face. And this is a theme that continues through all the movies, but especially this one where yeah. he just it just keeps happening over and over and over again. Yeah. Then eventually gets back in the house. He sees that the basement door has been open. And this is when he gets attacked by the Cheryl demon. And he's all, he eventually shuts her out to a different room. And he basically says, I need some more shells. So he needs to go get some more shotgun shells. And this is when we see, this is when he's down, he's down, uh, down in the basement. And he sees like this like pipe that's like kind of bloody. And he's like looking at it. And he's like, oh, this is kind of weird. It's a bloody pipe. 
And it bursts open and more blood comes on his face. <laughs> and this right is, out of the pipe. Yeah. They're out of the like... pipe. And now, and now the whole house is bleeding now. So we see like all the electrical yes. outlets and everything. All this stuff is, is out. And then we have like a record playing. And then we have an old projector playing. And eventually we, you hear like the, uh, the laughing of Linda. And this is when he starts hearing some voices and stuff that happened from the past. You know, like some of the people, voices from the, from, from the movie. Now the projector's on fire and the record stops and he goes back upstairs. He looks all throughout the house. He's uh, moving doors and windows. He, he now, now, she's not, now Ash is looking into the mirror. He puts his hand into the mirror. The mirror is now liquid. Um, that was a good effect too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, because you it was like a yeah, it looked like a mirror, and then he touched it, and it's like liquid. Yeah, that. Well, we've seen that really too good. in uh, Prince of Darkness. They kind of did something similar to that. True. True. So we see out here in the you know the doors and windows are all making noise and stuff. Um. He he starts to freak out, shoots the window. He changes around in the shotgun. You could tell basically at this time like he's freaked out. You know, obviously all his friends have turned into demons. And he now sees the necklace that he got, that he gave to Linda. It's in his pocket. And then eventually, some demon hands grab him, saying, join us. And then he eventually shoots the demon Cheryl in the face. And now Scott wakes up, and now Scott is now a demon. And he has now grabbed Ash by the throat. Ash a pl- pluck, uh, like pl- plucks his eyes out, which is one of the most craziest scenes. Ugh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he just puts his yeah. fingers into his eyes, and then of course Ugh. more blood on his face everywhere. Uh, the Cheryl demon, uh, Cheryl's demons breaks in. Uh, a book, another book, a closet falls on uh, Ash again. Uh, and Scott's grabbing his foot. Uh, and then this is when uh, Ashley kind of sees the book that you know the, the Necronomicon book, and he sees it near a fire, but he's trying to grab it. But he has Scott, and he has um, he has Cheryl. Cheryl's like whipping him with some sort of like stick, or no, no, she's yeah, whipping she's, him with that thing we use for the it's fire. A fire poker, yeah, fire yeah, it's poker. A fire poker. Yeah. So she's like beating him with a fire poker. Yeah, and then he eventually grabs the book and then throws the book with into the, the fire. Yeah, with the necklace. Throws into the fire, and this is when we get the stop motion of all the demons melting, which which is like a really cool effect. Yeah, and it's really gross, and it goes on forever. Yeah, one part even looked like it was like one part where I think it was on Cheryl when she was like decomposing. It kind of looked like oatmeal. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's like oatmeal or cream corn or something, which is like yeah. coming out of like their arms and things like yeah. that. It's like, oh my god, this is disgusting. <laughs> I don't know, it was pretty crazy. So they all start to melt and everything. We also get some more, you know, clay animation with them all melting. A hand bursts out, more blood. And every time they would burst, all the blood would go into his face. Right into Ash's face <laughs> yes. every single time. <laughs> yes. So now, uh, after all the blood and all the stuff is all on his face and everything, they all burnt up. It's morning. It's like morning time. That sun's coming up. Uh, Ash gets up. He goes outside, and then we see the camera all the way from the back of the house, go all the way through the house, go up to Ash, right up to his face, end movie. Yep. And there so ends. So Ash thinks he's safe. Yes. Because he walks out and he sees the sunlight, 
And then, then you see that long camera view going through the house and it b- breaks the door down. Ash turns around, it goes right up to his face and he screams and then the credits roll. Yes. So not a happy ending. Not a happy ending. And this is crazy because I think, was this the first movie to have a final guy instead of a final girl? Well, probably, but if you think about it, I mean, that precedence had only been set like a couple of years before this. Because Halloween was made in 78, and this was 79 when they were filming it. So, I mean, Halloween has the final girl. I mean, that's probably not the first movie, but that's the first final girl movie I can think. Oh, Chainsaw, yeah, was 74, had a final girl. I mean, I think most of the Um, movies had the the trope of you had to have the final girl you know the protagonist girl like the strong character girl who survives at the end right well there probably has been movies that had the maybe final guy or guy saving it but like this this movie might have to be like one of the ones that's like you know it's very rare that you would see that basically in horror movies where you have a, a final guy you know that right it is rare and he definitely has the final girl trope you know, like he does all the things that the final girl does in most most of these movies. Yeah, like he's the one that did research on the tapes. He's the one mm-hmm. who wanted to protect somebody. He was like the guy who who was, you know, the characters most leaned on toward leaned on for for support. So he had all the tropes to make a very good character. It just it just you know when it comes to horror movies, most of that character is mostly designed for women. But I liked it how they 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 put it on the guy for the change so definitely something pretty cool yeah mm-hmm. but everybody that has been our super long beginning episode of april evil dead we knew this was going to be a long one, but it was a fun one a uh, whole lot of stuff to talk about you know i mean obviously the evil dead franchise is one of the biggest they're even they still even make movies and tv shows to this day when it comes to this franchise so but join us here next week as we go over evil dead 2 Yes, we are finally doing sequels, brother. So that one should be a very fun one here on the Retro Blood. And Allison, do you have any more, any other final words you would like to say about Evil Dead? Nope, I, w- nope, I would just say that you should watch this movie because it's 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 a fantastic horror movie. I mean, it's it is fantastic. I don't know if I would eat anything while I watched it, but it is it is <laughs> a fantastic movie. That's right. All right, everybody, we're gonna leave you guys with some anti scene. What song would you like to play for the anti-scene there, Allison? Oh, Animals Just Eat Them. Animals Just Eat Them, brother. Just like our demon Cheryl does, when she sees some animals out there in the woods, she will just eat them. Or maybe. Or eat anything, I guess. <laughs> so, everybody, this is the anti-scene. Animals Just Eat Them. J.A. Allison, James Klein. Join us next week. Here on the Retro Blood as we go over Evil Dead 2. And if you guys plan a trip to the woods, make sure there's at least a back exit. If you can. But we'll check you out, everybody. Check you out later. See yeah.
And I'm standing on my 